I think you're going to have more tools available to you. But I think what we have to be training people for is to exercise judgment and discernment as opposed to just learning the steps of how to enact a trademark filing, for instance. So I think our work's going to go more in that direction. The tools may even help you with that judgment at some point. But for us, the work will be to train a new generation of lawyers, advisors, in-house counsel that can assess the best way to use those tools and still apply judgment to a real-life scenario. That's our guest on today's show, Christine Strutt. Christine is an experienced trademark and copyright attorney and a partner at Von Seidel's. This episode forms part of our special series, Live at Inter, where we took the podcast on the road to the Inter annual meeting in Singapore. We set up our podcast studio at the Bill Trader Expo booth, and guests were interviewed by our head of marketing and podcast producer, Wendy Robertson. Welcome to Talking IP, a podcast for IP professionals featuring conversations that take you inside the professional lives and careers of global IP leaders and entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy the show. Christine Strauss, welcome to Talking IP. Hi, Wendy. Thanks for having me. So we're here at the fabulous Interconference in Singapore. It's a fantastic opportunity for colleagues and friends to reconnect from around the world. What's been your inter-experience so far? What has been the highlights? Well, fabulous is the correct word, isn't it? Singapore's fantastic for a conference of this kind. I think the city is just so conducive to this, this type of event. And, of course, all the, the interregulars are ready to just get back in the game after a few years of being stuck at home. So, so we're all eager. And I feel things have been more settled and grounded this year. It's sort of back to business. And personally, I love it when we break away a little and come to Asia or Europe for an INTA. As much as I love traveling to the US, I think it adds a different flavor. And people are all experiencing something a little bit different, a little bit interesting. And that makes for some interesting conversations. I think it's really lovely for the Asian, there's a big Asian contingency here. And I think for, you know, to be able to showcase the best of Singapore, such a wonderful city. And I I was actually at a function uh, yesterday and I met someone for the first time that I've spoken to a few times on Zoom. And we immediately, and we just hugged and she was like, you can't do that on Zoom. (laughs) Absolutely not. And it was just so wonderful. You sort of go, that's what it's about, this relationship. It's a really close-knit community, the IP community, and that's what I really love. You know, we speak about it often, how fortunate we are to be in an industry where we meet up with the same people every year at a brilliant location, and you really build a lifetime of memories with people who start following sort of the stepping stones in your life you know these are friends that you've had for years they know when you got married when you had children when your children leave school you know often they're the ones who who know that you uh, might be expecting because you you're not having that opening reception cocktail Um, so these are people that really become so intricate in your being as you know your human being as well as your professional career and I think that's unique to the IP community and it's something that I really hold very dear you know, genuine, deep friendships. As I said, I was at a function uh, last night where people that have been working together for, you know, 20 plus years, it was, it was like a family gathering, but everyone works together. But it was just, it was amazing. And at the same time, we've got a, a first time in our group this year. And I think INTA is very good at being inclusive and welcoming to new members and new attendees. And I know of some people who are still closely connected to the people they met at their first time as reception. 
And I think that's very special. It's not just about being an established group of friends. It's very open to newcomers and new members as well. So INTA is wonderful at um, creating that balance and bringing in new energy and also maintaining that sort of established, connected network of people that you know really well. I've heard people tell those stories to say, oh, I came to my first, you know, inter and then I met such and such, you know, this, and they be- we became friends and they introduced me to their friends. And uh, someone said, friends of friends are the best friends. Suddenly I had all, I was in the group and then, the, you know, conferences were lots of fun. I can absolutely vouch for that. That is what the IP community is about. Of course, it's about competence and knowing who you work with and doing the best work and providing the best service but there is also a chemistry between people so being able to meet in person again and meet those friends of friends and people who just get on really well that's the special energy that the IP community has and it's fantastic to be back here experiencing that. Because it is, I suppose it's that you send all this work out on behalf of your clients. So there's that trust that I'm, you know, I'm sending all my work out to a safe pair of hands and that they're going to deliver the outcomes and then, you know, for, for everyone's clients. So I think it's, it's, it's very special in that regard. So uh, tell me a bit about your firm, Von Seidel's. What are you here to promote? What would you like the audience to hear? So Von Seidel's, um, you know, our brand is about 16 years old. We broke away from a, a commercial firm. So even though the experience is there, the brand itself is fairly new. Uh, We've managed to scale the the firm quite rapidly in that time. So we're very proud of having grown to about 140 staff members. Uh, We've got four regional offices in Africa. So I'm based in Cape Town and I love working there. But we also have our partners working in Nigeria. We've got an OWP office in Cameroon. We have another office in Namibia that does all our repo regional work. So we've managed to really build out a regional African firm. And I'm particularly proud of the fact that we didn't just go into Africa and sort of rebrand an existing established firm. Our approach was really to bring skills into the industry from different African countries. Uh, Often people would spend some time with us in the South Africa office, become dual qualified, and we then work with those partners to establish local offices. There are partners, of course, in those territories. And the idea is that they then also upskill local attorneys and bring them into the the IP industry. So it's been a longer road. You know, it would have been easier to just sort of scale by acquiring. But we feel part of our culture and our work is to uplift IP on the African continent as a whole, uh, not to just go in and compete with, with other law firms. So we're very serious about making Africa an attractive IP offering for foreign investors, foreign brands, and also local innovation and local brand owners. So that's something I'm, I'm particularly proud of. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, so it's interesting. Do you have a, a client success story that you could talk about? We do have many. I'm sure a number of the people you've interviewed will have those. I'm careful to mention a specific one by name. But I think what I'm very proud of is uh, how often is a law firm in a smaller region. We've worked on some tech deals where the acquirer or the sort of large multinational has subsequently asked us to represent them in Africa. And recently, I think we were one of the first firms to get protection for a patent where the inventor was listed as an AI tool. So this is very controversial, of course. 
and there's some rulings that have gone the other way in other jurisdictions, but it's something that we keep a close tab on. Uh, we are quite strong in pharma and tech, so our involvement in AI policy development and the patenting of AI inventions or even copyright considerations is something that we're very proud of and it's a big win that we, we had for our clients getting that patent recognized in South Africa. Very interesting, very interesting. How did you get your start in IP and do you have any career highlights that you want to, you know, one or two career highlights you'd like to talk about? Well, my start in IP is actually not at all in a glitzy, flashy city like Singapore. It's actually down in rural Africa, in the Eastern Cape. I was the generation who grew up without cell phones or internet. And being in such a remote area, it was often hard to access things, content or books or things that I had interests in. And I just remember getting a computer and this concept of the internet and having access to things that interest me. And I immediately saw the potential for this to be a very democracy-driven, inclusive platform. And I was immediately in love. So I think my road into IP was more a road into the internet and screen tech, which is why I still find most of my work. Subsequently, we've also realized with Web2 that you know more connectivity and more content doesn't necessarily mean more quality. It also means perhaps more bias, more gender discrimination, some issues we have to address. And we're seeing more of that in the Web3 space, of course. So there's been that evolution. So with all the advancement and the positives, you know, we've also come alive to some risks and some threats. I think we're seeing more of that now with, with AI development and, you know, things like ChatGPT becoming more mainstream or you know, even just blockchain concepts or 3D printing so that's been my road. I haven't looked back ever. Because despite the, the concerns and the, the regulation that's probably needed, I think life is better. We do transact better. We do move around better. We do learn better. And we definitely give a lot of people more access to the world. So that's my story. And I feel very sort of deeply about it because it's deeply personal to me. And the work I do really reflects how I've entered the world as a person from a very remote sort of starting point and now getting to travel three four times a year and being sort of on the pulse of new innovations and new brand developments it's it's really special that is what's so special about this industry you are sort of yeah on the bleeding edge of innovation and technology because you're representing you know the inventions of the future but you're right it's it is a bit of a double-edged sword you know with all this web3 you know ai there's a real sort of ethical sort of question around technology for good but there could be sort of technology for for evil i suppose you know the situation with most things but you know but as as the tech has evolved the users have evolved as well so you know when we were younger i remember it at school was learning how to hold the mouse, you know, or to um, press that button on that large box. You remember those desks had a, a special compartment by your knees, you know, where you had to keep your, your computer. And my daughter just started grade one back home and had IT in the first week of school and came back. I said, what did you learn? And I was expecting they learned about the hardware. Um, and she told me we learned about online privacy. And I said, I beg your pardon? They had a whole little nursery rhyme about being safe with your data. If something doesn't feel right, show an adult, tell your parents. And I just thought, 
the world has changed. You know, in two decades, we've gone from learning how to switch on your, your modem to immediately entering the digital world with a sense of my data is precious, there is some, uh, you know, bad actors, be conscientious, be careful, use this tool for, for good, but be careful, tell an adult, be safe. It's just amazing how we've, we've made that leap and we're all quite acclimatized. A lot of people talk about AI and it's so scary, but then, you know, you've been using a GPS for a long time. And in a way, that was a emerging of the digital world and the physical, wasn't it? But we didn't sort of have a existential crisis about it. We just put the GPSs in our cars. And, and I think tech is like that. We just adopt it. We evolve. And it's never been to our detriment. I'm hopeful and optimistic about it. I think humans will keep adapting and being responsible users of technologies that make our lives better. That's at least my wish and my hope. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. My yeah, my daughter has had some sort of technology. Like the first, they had an iPad, and now they have a computer. But they just learn everything's done. It's just the way they work. It's it's not even a choice. It's just this is this is the world you're living in. So you need to have the skills to use technology. So, I think it has uh, made things a lot faster. So you know we've got people who tell us when they started out in IP, they used to wait at the fax machine for all the instructions that came in overnight from a different time zone or they had to write a letter and put it in the mail so the patent could be filed two months later. We certainly don't have that turnaround time and I think that it has caused especially the IP community to be more cognizant of mental health, rest, being respectful and empathetic of other people's lives and having more balance between being human and having your your home life and your social life and your physical health and still being efficient and competent and driven in your work space. Um, So that's also a theme I notice at INTA that's emerging quite a bit. Well, I think because, uh, yeah, because it is a global, you know, 24 hours there's work happening. So your, you know, your inbox and, you know, your communications would be going 24-7 because someone's replying in their time zone. So, you know, you have to be able to sort of switch off. And I think during COVID, well, we didn't have anything else to do. It was it was easy just to throw ourselves into into work, you know, having face-to-face meetings. And so what was the, you know, the impact on us physically? I noticed my eyes and just, you know, like looking at the screen, just eye strain, things like that just crept up. In your experience, what are the attributes that make a great leader? You've probably worked with some great leaders. You're now a leader of uh, many people. So what do you think makes a great leader? I think there are different types of leaders. And I think people nowadays prefer a more empathetic type of leader, perhaps not such a controlling, you know, dominant figure that might have been popular in the past. I think people appreciate people who see them and detect what's going on in the group and is still able to drive it and create focus and give direction but perhaps more on a human level not so much on a prescriptive level Um, so for me I think a good leader observes both internally what's happening in the team and how they can use that to drive the process and also externally observes the environment they're in and the purpose that they have in that environment so that's what I'm noticing a lot is people who are able to look outward and inward at the same time those are the leaders I, I tend to respect a lot. And I think a lot of women have those, those qualities, that multitasking, inward, outward, peripheral vision. I think women are, 
uniquely positioned to fulfill those roles. Absolutely. You want something done, give it to a working mum and it will get done. (laughs) You know, I will say, give it to a working dad as well. I'm very fortunate we're a generation and I'm in a relationship where we really both have careers. Everyone gets involved at home. It's a new dynamic. We don't have a template. We didn't have parents who, who raised us that way. But we're figuring it out. And I'm excited for it, you know. It doesn't have to be too burdensome on one person. Couples and you know, whatever gender you are, whatever your arrangement is, single parents, there's space to share some of the, the workload. But in terms of leadership, I think women do have a special gift. And I'm, as you can tell, a little bit passionate about women in leadership roles. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yep. Me too. Just thinking about the industry, I mean, you're very passionate uh, about technology, but just your perspective on the role of technology when it comes to trademark protection, where do you see the industry going? So our firm has always been very tech forward. Um, We have a lot of, our attorneys are actually software engineers or, you know, coders. And for a very long time, we've been able to sort of write our own workflows, script, streamline our searches, that sort of thing. I think there are elements of our work that will be very well suited to automation and improvements that's brought about by autonomous tech. I don't think that's intimidating at all. I think everyone should be excited about that. What I can tell at the moment, or what I know from having tested a few tools, is that there's still a lot of value in judgment and human evaluation of a situation. So we've tested tools, for instance, to write a trademark specification or compare marks and to some degree it's very good at doing that but a similar tool cannot give you a case summary yet or a prediction on a case the reason for that is because lawyers don't just summarize a case they're applying context and factors that are not perhaps obvious when you're just repackaging content so I think you're gonna have more tools available to you But I think what we have to be training people for is to exercise judgment and discernment as opposed to just learning the steps of how to enact a trademark filing, for instance. So I think our work's going to go more in that direction. The tools may even help you with that judgment at some point. But for us, the work will be to train a new generation of lawyers, advisors, in-house counsel that can assess the best way to use those tools and still apply judgment to a real-life scenario. Yeah, the tool will never replace your expertise. If anything, it help you get to a decision faster. So if it, even if it's summarising, so then you can review, but it's not going to replace your brain. Of course. Um, <laughs> and it might in, some, in some, some tasks, but I don't think those are the tasks that inspire you every day. Well, that's the thing. The commoditization of those tasks means that, you know, they're, they're designed to be automated. So why wouldn't you adopt that? Because then you've got more time to sort of deliver what you need to deliver for your clients. Yes, and I think that's one of the, the possible downsides. If you know, we, we seldom talk about the things that are not so healthy in, in the law environment. Is some people get so reactive and your day-to-day becomes just answering emails. And it's very mundane and it's not healthy for you. These are people who were curious, who often had other careers, studied something else on top of law. And I think it's more stimulating if people can get out of that reactionary day-to-day and say, you know what, I'm here to add value, I'm here to advise, to solve problems. I'm always nagging my juniors about this. And they, they know this speech, so here it comes again. Our job is not to get 
emails out of our inboxes. Your job is to help a human do something. Your job is to see what the client's really asking, get that done. And I think sometimes we go on autopilot because there's just so much email and so many messages and so many terms or deadlines. I think those tools can help us get out of that pattern and get back to what we love, which is engaging with a problem, a situation, a new idea, a business, and adding value, whatever that expertise is, whatever the solution or just the brainstorm, just the creative exercise, get back to the work that you set out to do when you decided that you wanted to be an IP lawyer. I think that's the exciting part of where we headed with, with tech. Couldn't agree more. One more question, which is really, is there anything else you'd like to discuss? No, I would just like to say that this is a fantastic idea. Thanks for coming to INTA. It's been an amazing interview. You've been it's like so, such a delight, so interesting, so you're clever, so passionate. I love it. Thank you so much, Wendy. Well, that's it for our special episode of Talking IP Live at Inter. And thanks to our guest, Christine Strutt. Thank you for joining us. And please reach out to connect with me on LinkedIn, where we'll share our updates on the release of each episode. Talking IP is brought to you by BillTrader, a fintech solution for IP firms designed to solve the cost and efficiency challenges of making and receiving payments to and from your foreign agents. To learn more, visit BillTrader.com.